five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, space friends. We're back with a new episode. Two words. Space robotics. Gitai, founded in Japan and now headquartered in the US, wants to significantly bring down the cost of labor in space. In orbit, on space stations, on the moon, even on Mars, with its robotic technology. My guest is Gitai's founder and CEO, Sho Nakanosa, and he'll tell us all about it. Enjoy. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hey, space enthusiasts, welcome back to the first episode of 2024 after our 2024 preview episode. That is, if you haven't listened yet, you should listen to it. It gives you the preview of all of the exciting things which we think will happen in the space sector this year. But now with any further ado, my first guest for 2024 is Sho Nakanose. He's the founder and CEO of Gitai from Japan. Welcome, Sho. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. I'm looking really forward to to hearing about um, Gitai. Could you start off as always, and do you mind giving us sort of the short summary, the elevator pitch, mm-hmm. if you will, of Gitai, please? Sure. Uh, yeah. Everyone, hello, everyone. I'm Shou from Gitai, and uh, Gitai is a space robotic startup that provides safe and affordable means of labor in space. So um, we've been developing space robots, mainly two uh, space robots. One is a robotic satellite equipped with robotic arm, capable of conducting rendezvous, docking, and maintenance, inspection, and life extension operation for the target satellite. And the other is a lunar robotic rover equipped with robotic arm, capable of um, moving around on the moon and uh, conduct various operations such as maintenance, inspection, repairing, um, excavation or mining, and even construction of solar panels or communication antennas on the moon. So, yeah, and, uh, but uh, we, we are not just a robotic supplier, but a labor uh, provisioning service on our hourly charges using our robotics technologies. So that is our vision and uh, minimizing costs in real time dramatically enhancing the performance rapidly and uh, um, minimizing the cost of working in space by 100 times. That is our vision and that is who, um, who we are. Thank you. And of course, Japan has a very long-standing and proud tradition of robotics. But in, in your case, how did you decide to, to start Gitai? And how did you decide there should be a space robotics-focused company? Yeah, I think this is a very unique story because like, I don't have any uh, robotics nor like space background originally. And uh, um, so I established a company seven years ago. But before that, I had worked for IBM Japan as an IT consultant, but it was a really boring job for me, unfortunately. So um, so I decided to leave the company and uh, I established my first company in India to develop web applications and smartphone applications. Um, and after two and a half years, I sold my company and business to a big organization. And using that money, I have started to develop prototype of sci-fi-like robots, um, which was our very first prototype of guitar robot before the establishment of the company. And uh, it was just my individual project originally, uh, since I have I have loved science fiction since I was a child. So using that money, I have just like I've been developing my own personal project, like sci-fi like robot. So yeah, as an individual project, and uh, but uh, I was really into that project. So I have decided to establish my second company as a startup, and uh, yeah, that was Gitai. 
And uh, I have conducted like a lot of interviews and uh, um, researches to potential markets such as not only space industry, but also um, disaster rescue and remote medicals. But uh, I saw a significant growth potential in the space market because humanity has been expanding horizontally. But now is the time for us to expand vertically. And thanks to the SpaceX, um, the biggest bottleneck in the space industry have been changing from a transportation cost to operational cost. So I've decided uh, while SpaceX is reducing the cost of transportation to space by 100 times, we at DTI are taking on the challenge of reducing labor cost in space by 100 times using our robotics technology. So yeah, that's why I established our company. And when was that? Uh, it was uh, seven years ago. Seven years ago. So of course, mm-hmm. this is roughly also when I uh, got started more seriously in space. And and I remember this was a time when, so today, obviously, space is a lot in the news and people talk a lot about mm-hmm. it. And there's millions of people watch like, you know, st- Starship um, uh, mm-hmm. test flights and so forth. But seven years ago, this was very different, right? Yes, and so yes. How- how was it for you at the beginning, like you were pitching a space robotics company? And then I think even the experts, they said, okay, space robotics, there mm. is the, you know, I guess the Canada on the International Space mm. Station. But the use cases were not so clear yet, probably to most people. Yes. How was it to start out and try to pitch and try to convince people that this was worthwhile? Yeah, it was uh, just a passion, so I believe. And uh, yeah, but uh, as you said, um, like when I, when I established our company, uh, seven years ago, bringing just my tiny prototype and uh, with our tiny co-founders, um, like um, like people said, establish, establishing the space robotics company was the most stupid idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, no, no markets and uh, like yeah, no concrete use case, and uh, there's only international space station in space with the kind of operation and uh, no human being on the moon in the Mars. But uh, so I've met like a lot of venture characters, but uh, yeah, they said like there was no market and uh, no use case. So don't like, don't establish such a company. And, but uh, I strongly believe uh, it's a time for us to expand vertically and, uh, and uh, um, like not only just uh, how to say um, like Roman uh, like going back to the moon or something, but uh, also the confliction between the US and China like is was escalating um more and more. So um like I believe how to say not only just uh, like science uh, mission, but also like space mining um and uh, um defense purposes um like um that kind of a, like strong motivation uh, would lead the expansion of the space market and uh, the biggest bottleneck in the space industry um, like would be uh, um, changing from a transportation cost to operational cost thanks to the SpaceX challenges. So yeah, that's why I just um, um, believed and uh, probably like the, because of the, my strong passion, some like investors, um, uh, believed my passion in a past track record as uh, my previous company. And then I got uh, 1.5 million US dollars uh, seed around the founding, and I, I could start higher uh, higher talented engineers. And uh, then the market timing was like um, coming to the, uh, um, yeah, like, um, so yeah, and uh, I, like, we could gradually uh, make a generate sales figures and track record and uh, uh, show the, um, successful space demonstration in 2021. So yeah, that is our um, like first step. It was very hard, but uh, yeah, it turns out very uh, right timing. Okay, so you got the one and a half million dollars venture funding. You said you hired um, technical people, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess you probably built something like like a prototype. You said there was an in space demonstration. When when did you feel that sort of this this skepticism that people may have had, both investors and customers? When did you feel it may have started to shift? And mm-hmm. what do you think may have been the main the main reason it started shifting? Um, yeah, I would say that was like um, 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 defense. Uh, how to say purposes the like confliction between the uh, U.S. and the uh, China and Russia, mm. so that um, may escalate the um, um, how to say expansion of the um, budget to especially on orbit servicing business domain and uh, starting from two or three years ago and uh, also um, um, like some investment uh, from government and uh, commercial space companies such as uh, Blue Origin and. Uh, 
um, to the lunar uh, surface to build a um, like kind of a gas station for uh, rockets and uh, uh, like ISRU plants and uh, yeah that kind of a uh, like um, uh, motivation from commercial specific commercial space companies uh, uh, would lead the um, like expansion of the lunar market. And uh, yeah, I believe like uh, SpaceX will lead the um, expansion uh, of the uh, market to um, Martian surface, but uh, yeah, it, it will take more time. But uh, yeah, based on that um, specific organization or commercial space companies nowadays lead the uh, expansion of the market and uh, um, also like uh, DOD uh, defense purposes. Um, yeah, DOD um, leads that specific market, especially on the satellite servicing market. Okay, and so yeah, let's talk a little bit about the. I was going to say let's talk a little bit about the use cases, but actually let me take one step back before that and sort of try to understand your your product. And you already described there's actually two products, right? Because mm -hmm. you also have the rover. But just to try mm -hmm. to understand them, maybe starting with the robotic arm in orbit a little bit in more detail. Like for example, is it? Uh, can you describe it a little bit? What it looks like? What its sizes? What its you know mm -hmm. functionalities are? And mm -hmm. also, I was curious whether you were. Um, just doing the hardware or whether I assume mm. you're also doing like the um, the control software for the hardware. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, actually, we've been uh, developing um, like space robots in the Azure development method based on the in-house production. So first of all, we develop everything in-house, including the uh, hardware, software, and all of the avionics um, by ourselves. And uh, um, as for the but we have two products, and uh, one is robotic satellite equipped with two-meter-sized dual robotic arms with um, um, like 500 kilogram, kilogram class satellite and uh, capable of conducting um, rendezvous, um, approximity, and uh, docking, and uh, also con uh, conduct various operations, such as maintenance, inspection, and uh, life extension operations, and uh, in-space assembly operation. Um, uh, for the target satellite. Um, so that is one um, product of ours. And uh, the other is a lunar robotic rover, a uh, uh, two-meter sized lunar robotic rover equipped with two-meter sized lunar robotic arms and are capable of conducting um, maintenance inspection and repairing excavation or mining and even assembling solar panels from smaller separate parts autonomously. And, uh, uh, and also we uh, that lunar robotic rover has a and a robotic arm has a tool changer functions so that um end effector is a interchangeable and also um that um our robotic arm is not fixed robotic arm um through the dedicated interfaces our robotic arm can walk around like horizontally and vertically through our dedicated interfaces so we called it um inch arm types robotic arm um, so yeah, with moving function. So that is our main capability for on-orbit satellite servicing and uh, lunar surface, um, lunar infrastructure um, construction business domain. And uh, yeah, uh, with our vertical integration. So we've been developing everything in-house. And so when you first started and you said, okay, you want to build space robotics. And, and, and again, mm -hmm. Japan has a very proud tradition. Japan has some other countries, very proud tradition of it's called terrestrial robotics, right? For various mm -hmm. industrial purposes. Mm -hmm. How did you and your engineers go about it? Like, for example, did you go and analyze, okay, everything that's available on earth, and then you try to see, okay, what do we have to adapt for a space environment? Or did you maybe start more from a, uh, you know, a, a approach from scratch, kind of ignoring what's mm -hmm. on earth? Or did you look at the historical precedence of the little space robotics we had, like on you know space shuttle and international space station, or what what was mm. the approach there? Yeah, um, yeah, I think um, that is one of the, our biggest feature. So actually, most of us are not space guy uh, originally. So uh, yeah, only a few of us are from uh, space industry, but our majority of us are from uh, terrestrial industries and are mainly robotics researchers and are terrestrial market. Um, so now we are bringing the advanced robotics technology, especially autonomous robotics technology from terrestrial industry to the space industry. I think that is one of the biggest feature and our challenges um, to enter the space market. So we have our advanced 
um, general purpose autonomous robotics technology originally, but uh, and we hired that kind of uh, um, engineers mainly in Japan in Tokyo and uh, who has uh, like um, specialty in their like autonomy autonomous uh, general purpose robots such as disaster rescue remote medicals uh, humanoid um, uh, autonomous robotics um, but uh, um, so we have our like we, originally, we have our strong confidence to realize the most advanced uh, general purpose robot, which can, uh, which capable of conducting various operations autonomously. But uh, we had to um, realize and conduct um, like countermeasures to withstand the harsh space environment. So we have like, um, but uh, actually, yeah, we have conducted that um, necessary environmental testing by ourselves, such as thermal vacuum chamber. Uh, thermostatic chamber and uh, vibration, radiation, and even laborious chamber testing um, by ourselves. So that is totally in-house um, 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 yeah, production and manufacturing. But uh, yeah, so originally we have hired uh, great engineers who have advanced robotics um, technology, and then we have conducted uh, countermeasures um, by ourselves. And, and speaking of the countermeasures, so of course you, you mentioned the two products you have, like the the, the, the servicing, mm. or, or I guess more for use in orbit, but then the the lunar rover and on, on the moon, the environment is even mm. much harsher. So I guess then you have mm. to take additional countermeasures for the radiation probably, mm. and yes. maybe even like the regolith and so forth. Mm. Yeah, true. And uh, actually, um, we already have completed our uh, environmental testing for uh, our like, uh, space robots. Um, in lower Soviet and GEO, but uh, um, now we are conducting uh, lunar countermeasures such as uh, like regular chamber testing and uh, phylogenetic um, testing, um, like coating with the glass uh, for cameras to prevent like uh, lunar regolith from like um, um, yeah uh, inserting their um, our motor module unit. But uh, yeah, and, uh, we already have completed um, our first technical demonstration. Um, inside the International Space Station in 2021, and we have succeeded in um, assembling solar panels from smaller separate parts autonomously. And uh, now we are challenging to conduct external demonstration, so outside the space station. Um, so yeah, we have just launched our 1.5 meter sized dual robotic arms to the outside of the International Space Station just two weeks ago. And uh, yeah, we are now conducting our external demonstration at the harsh space environment uh, outside of the space station. So yeah, it's gonna be our first demonstration uh, will be conduct, uh, conducted outside of the space station, so harsh space environment. So this is, this is happening right now, this will happen in the near, in the next few weeks, you said? Oh yes, now like, uh, NASA is installing our robot um, outside of the Bishop Airlock mounted on the International Space Station. And uh, uh, we are going to start our external demonstration in two weeks. And what will this demonstration involve? Will you, will you again be assembling uh, some structure or what precisely will you do? Uh, mainly um, uh, various types of operations uh, required for um, on orbit satellite servicing, such as uh, maintenance inspection and uh, some kind of a life extension operation. So like attachment, attach the hardware on the um, uh, task board, um, kind of like mock-up of the um, customer satellite uh, using the tool changer functions. And uh, um, so um, that is our, yeah, uh, one of the like, technical demonstration to conduct actual operations required for all satellite servicing. And also it's uh, going to be a proof of our countermeasures capability to withstand the high space environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of the International Space Station, I mean, as, as many of us space fans know, regularly um, astronauts on the International Space Station go mm -hmm. out on um, what we call the extravehicular activity, right? Or colloquially mm -hmm. called the spacewalks. Mm -hmm. And they do that because they have to repair something, basically. But mm -hmm. it's, uh, of course, it's, uh, it's dangerous. It's very expensive. So do you mm -hmm. also see the possibility in the future that maybe some of your robots could help to service the International Space Station? Um. I hope so, um, but our, um, we aim to provide our robotic workforce um, to like lunar surface and Martian surface more. Um, so mm -hmm. as our like, main labor in space and uh, minimizing our cost of working in space by 100 times 
So I think like, um, um, yeah, we should divide like um, each role. So human astronauts have uh, their own roles, but are, they don't need to like operate, how to say dangerous operations in space or like daily chores. So, and uh, mm -hmm. actually um, like a lot of uh, human astronauts uh, have visited to our office, like Japanese office and uh, US office, um, but uh, yeah, they sometimes complained like how boring operations <laughs> they have, have to conduct uh, in the International Space Station. And uh, yeah, we could replace such a boring uh, like daily chores, uh, like cleaning and maintenance, uh, rat, uh, or like dangerous operations with our robotics capabilities. Yeah, but now we're crossing over now into basically the use cases that I want to talk about. So both for your um, servicing um, robot and platform, as well as for the Luna, where where do you see the main the main use cases? Like, mm -hmm. what will these machines do? And and then also, which which ones are you maybe most excited about for the near term? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like our long-term goal is to provide robotic workforce to build infrastructures on the moon and Mars, such as like thousands of solar panels, communication antennas, habitation modules, and uh, even ISRU plants and on the moon and Mars. So that is our like uh, main goals, and it gotta be our biggest contribution to humanity. Humanity, um, but uh, yeah, of course we need to generate serious figures step by step. So um, we are targeting for like not only lunar and Mars surface, but also on-orbit satellite servicing. But uh, um, like our major capability is um, to assemble solar panels and uh, communication antennas using our autonomous uh, like. Lunar robotic rover and lunar robotic arms. Um, so actually, we have succeeded in demonstrating that uh, um, construction of solar panels and uh, communication antennas, um, building a tall tower um, using our autonomous robotics capacity. So that yeah, that is our like most um, um, yeah exciting uh, mission and. Uh, actually, we've been awarded a contract from DARPA recently, um, which is. Uh, called uh, Lunar 10 contract, and uh, which is a lunar infrastructure construction mission. And we've been selected one of the 14 US companies um, from DARPA, and we will be in charge of providing robotic workforce to build infrastructures such as solar panels, communication antennas on the moon. So yeah, that is exactly what we want to do uh, on the moon in the near future. And so for for the you said the in space assembly, we'll come to the moon in a second, but the in space assembly, would that also then involve, I guess, the potential construction of very large mm -hmm. structures? So of course, you know, mm -hmm. some people are now working again, for example, on uh, ideas of space-based solar power, where we need mm -hmm. like very, very large arrays that we and even mm -hmm. larger than what you could fit in a starship that mm -hmm. you need to assemble. I guess mm -hmm. this is something where your robotics could also help assemble these these structures. Yeah, we'd love to provide our robotic workforce to that uh, like huge mission. And, uh, um, but uh, I also believe like what was the biggest uh, bottleneck and problem in this space industry uh, would be um, everyone just talking about that like concept and bringing that PowerPoint presentation or computer graphics. Yeah. It looks very good, very, very beautiful, but uh, no one uh, can realize that, that actual capability, like no one um, cannot realize their actual hardware and avionics and software. That's the most important part. And, uh, um, like, and uh, of course, like uh, making a good business would be uh, next step and uh, next important things. But, uh, um, um, but originally, we should develop that actual products instead of just creating like presentation PowerPoint or computer graphics. So that is our strong culture. Um, we always develop actual hardware and software and sh to show um, actual capacity. And uh, so we have succeeded in assembling that like, actual solar panels and communication antennas using our robotics uh, capacity. And uh, even it's uh, just um, ground demonstration and uh, in the Mojave Desert. But uh, yeah, we can show that uh, actual capacity and demonstration and uh, to you and to like our potential customers and investors. Um, yeah, that is our uh, strong culture and we hope to contribute that like actual um, in-space assembly mission. Yeah, and so on, on the way to like, you know, the ultimate vision of a workforce, a robotic workforce on the moon and maybe even Mars. So for, for, for the near term, like 
what does that mean in terms of like the types of customers you approach? Like who is your product useful for right now? Yes. Um, so uh, most of our existing customers, um, we cannot um, disclose, but are, um, we already- Just The types, the been... types of companies, yeah. Yeah. Without, without are... giving any names. Mm -hmm. I think uh, like um, three types of categories will lead that uh, in space assembly or that market. And uh, of course, like uh, NASA, um, and uh, NASA actually is creating that concrete mission uh, called um, Lift One. Um, and will be disclosed uh, this year. And uh, um, also DOD-related organizations and uh, uh, will lead that uh, market. And since we already have been awarded our contract from DAPA. And, uh, um, and lastly, um, specific uh, commercial companies such as uh, Blue Origin and SpaceX will lead that um, market. So uh, initially that three uh, limited um, uh, potential customers will lead uh, the market, we believe. And I guess as you, you mentioned Blue Origin also there is, and we talked about the ISS, but I guess there's also like all of these potential um, future space station projects, right? Many mm -hmm. of which mm -hmm. want to, for example, do things like in-space manufacturing. So I, mm -hmm. so I envision there's also a uh, upcoming need for robotics in these new space stations. Yes. We can we cannot disclose uh, it yet, but uh, yeah, we already have collaborated with that. Okay, and so for mm -hmm. the for the moon, you mentioned some examples already, like the the ISIU, the mm -hmm. habitation, and so forth. If you had to take a guess, what will be the first like big scale use case of robotics on the moon? What what would be your guess? Um. So these are uh like based on the concrete demand from um like specific commercial space companies in the US and uh, also DOD and NASA but are uh, um um now they are trying to build a kind of a gas station on the moon so um yeah based on the um uh, using that how to say lunar sand uh, called regolith um they are going to produce um liquid oxygen and uh, and if we get our like ice grains, like water on the moon, we also can produce both liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen. It can be used as a, a fuel for liquid fuel rocket, um, such as Starship. And uh, um, so yeah, they are going to build a kind of a gas station on the moon to go to uh, Mars and furthermore. So I think the um, meaning of the like ISRU um, at the lunar surface, will be would be um, like produce producing the um, kind of a fuel um, on site uh, for liquid fuel rocket. Mm, okay, and when do you um, envision to have your first lunar demonstration, and what may it look like? Yeah, uh, actually, we already have our like concrete plan to conduct our lunar uh, technical demonstration by ourselves, targeting for um, the late twenty twenties. And uh, um, we are going to conduct um, two major uh, operations. One is um, excavation or mining uh, operations, like to collect lunar sand. And uh, uh, the other is our uh, in-space assembly operation. So our uh, lunar robotic rover and lunar robot robotic arm is going to assemble solar panels um, at the lunar surface. Um, from a smaller separate parts autonomously, and then we can get electricity through that assembled solar panels. Um, that is our uh, it, that that's operations are going to be our first technical demonstrations at the lunar lunar surface. And do you envision? You said it's already planned. So are you already booked on a maybe a specific mission, maybe one of the Artemis missions? And then would you be doing this uh, for a um, a customer or under a government contract? If if you can disclose these things. Um, we cannot disclose it, uh, that yet, but uh, um, our first demonstration uh, will be uh, like our own lunar demonstration. So not as a customer mission, but uh, yeah, our own technical demonstration to take a risk more. Okay, and understood. And is it is it a specific mission you have booked already, or are you still evaluating which mission it might be? Uh, sorry, uh, we cannot disclose uh, it, but uh, yeah, we are going to. Uh, disclose as a press release about that. Okay, and understood. So maybe talking a little bit about your, more your your vision and timeline in general. So as you as you mentioned a few times right now, you had your first uh, ISS demonstration in 2021. I guess you had some demonstration in Mojave Desert as well mm -hmm. as as you mentioned. You now uh, 
currently conducting the uh, demonstration outside mm -hmm. the ISS, which of course is very important to evaluate how it uh, behaves in the in the mm -hmm. actual space environment. What are the next the next major milestones for Gitai along the years? Um, actually, um, how to say? Um, um, in addition to the like future Luna demonstrations, uh, we have our two additional demonstrations. Um, in the very near future. So that would be our like upcoming um, major challenges. Um, uh, yeah, in addition to future lunar demonstration and uh, customer missions. Uh, so we are going to launch our, our spacecraft, Gitai's spacecraft to low Earth orbit um, the end, end of this year. And also we are going to launch much bigger um, uh, Gitai's spacecraft to also low Earth orbit um, next year. So that two um, additional demonstrations um, will be really, really difficult challenges, but are also uh, very great challenges for us to enter the um, um, on-orbit satellite servicing market. And so what will these missions entail? Like what will these spacecraft do? Like for example, will they try to do some sort of rendezvous operation mm -hmm. or some other manipulation? Yeah, both two um, like demonstration in a row. Um, um, uh, we are going to um, um, make sure our satellite function, um, um, yeah, first demonstration is to launch Gitai's in-house satellite to lower orbit and uh, to see if our satellite um, function correctly. And uh, um, the like, second demonstration uh, next year, um, like, uh, we are going to launch much bigger robotic satellite, like uh, Gitai's in-house uh, bigger uh, satellite equipped with two robotic arms and are capable of conducting rendezvous, docking, and maintenance inspection and a kind of a life extension operation for the target smaller uh, mock-up of the target satellite uh, alongside with um, bigger uh, robotic uh, guitar satellite as a servicer. So that is our um, yeah, uh, fast technical demonstrations in lower Soviet um, as a um, on-orbit satellite servicing. Um, so not only just uh, friendly docking, but also um, uh, conduct various operations for the target satellite. So yeah, that is a uh, real technical demonstration targeting for on-orbit satellite servicing. And then would the business model be that Gita itself uh, provides these um, on-orbit servicing, these on-orbit services, or would you mm. uh, sell your technology to mm. other companies who want to provide these uh, on-orbit services? Mm. Yes, we don't want to be just a robotic supplier, but a, a labor provisioning servicer. Um, to our as a prime contractor to like DOD related organizations and our commercial space companies. So um, so now we've been developing uh, not only robotic uh, robotic arms but also satellite in um, in house. Um, yeah, to, to be able to provide um, on orbit satellite services uh, as a prime contractor to DOD related related organizations such as Space Force. Okay, understood. And so then you would end up um, also competing with some other companies who also want to mm. do, I guess, uh, similar things. Yes. And we don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to mention them, but I think people know yes. the types of companies they are. Okay, yes. good. And then so if if you take a little bit of a um, a longer term view, right? And I guess we've already talked about um, the moon. It already is somewhat longer mm. term, but maybe even further out, sort of like your your ultimate vision. And you already talked about it a little bit, but maybe 10, 20 years in the future, if if mm. all goes well with Gitai, what would you mm. like to see? So, like thousands of our uh, like Gitai's space robots um, on site, like um, and our um, build infrastructures such as thousands of solar panels, communication antennas, habitation modules and our ISR plants um, on the moon and Mars. And so, and our, yeah, that is our future vision and our, uh, minimizing the cost of working in space by 100 times. So that is our only metrics, um, like um, Gita's contribution to humanity. Um, so yeah, that is our uh, future vision. And our, um, yeah, so at them, at that time, like we are not robotics company, but a construction company with guitar's robots. Mm -hmm. And so let me pick up because you mentioned this a few times now. And this, of course, is very important. This this reducing the cost mm -hmm. of labor 
by a hundred times. What is, so I try to, I know this may be a difficult question, but I try to like get to sort of a more specific number. So for example, mm -hmm. I know that right now, if you're inside the International Space Station and you have the, mm -hmm. the astronauts, I think like NASA has a, like a rate card, right? How much it costs mm -hmm. uh, if you commercially want to use astronaut time. And I think mm -hmm. last time I checked, it was something like $130,000. It was very, yes. very, very, very expensive, like much even more expensive yes. than like uh, lawyers per hour. Mm -hmm. And so is, is this like the sort of right starting point? If I take $130,000, mm -hmm. I divide it by 100. This is kind of the cost mm -hmm. you're targeting or where do you think we get to in terms of operational cost? Yes, that is exactly what we aim to uh, reduce the cost. And uh, so, um, so there are only two ways to conduct operations now. And one is human astronaut. And as you said, it costs 130,000 US dollars power and uh, with safety issues. And also there is, a, of course, like uh, existing robotic arms such as Canadian arm, but are, mm -hmm. it also costs 1.2 billion US dollars per unit um, with long lead time. Not company variation, but uh, just single robotic arm costs 1.2 billion US dollars. It's a um, yeah, I incredibly expensive. So we aim to like reduce the. Uh, first of all, we uh, aim to reduce the uh, cost of like human astronauts astronauts cost uh, to um, uh, hundred times. So using our uh, space robotics technologies uh, developed in house. So yeah, that is our um, major challenges. Mm -hmm. And so coming back to the, the 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 products, right? So so again, we have the like now your 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 spacecraft with the like mm. two meter arms, the lunar rover with one point with also with two meter arms, if I remember correctly. Mm. And if you look further out, like uh, again, so for 10, 20 years, what what else do you maybe see on the what type of machines do you see on the product roadmap mm. in the future? Yes, um, maybe we have our uh, two products. One is robotic satellite, and uh, the other is a uh, uh, lunar robotic rover equipped with robotic arms, and uh, that uh, um, lunar robotic rover and uh, ro lunar robotic arm will be our major products and uh, uh, going to mass production in the uh, like in ten years, twenty years. So to build the infrastructures um, like solar panels, communication antennas, habitation modules, and ISL plants. Um, so um, yeah, I think like if we really want to want to. Um, build infrastructures on the moon and the Mars. Um, like we need to um, design the space robots, not as a, just one of items, but are like mass produ produced, uh, future mass produced products. Um, so we need to minimize the um, num number of products as much as possible to um, like produce as a mass production model. So, and then we already have uh, designed um, like two combination, so uh, inch one types of robotic arm with two changer functions and uh, inch one working function. And uh, that is one um, major capability for lunar and Martian surface. And uh, also uh, uh, as a moving function, we have a lunar robotic rover um, to bring the uh, module for like uh, infrastructure construction to mm -hmm. like a uh, necessary location. So we separate like operational robot and uh, moving uh, robot. And uh, that is inch one type robotic arms and uh, lunar robotic rover. So that's two um, combination of space robots are going to be our major products in the very near future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you say, when you say mass produce, and, and of course, we all hope this will happen. So, because that mm -hmm. would mean there's a lot of activity on the moon. But what do you envision? Is this going to be sort of like dozens or hundreds of units or even thousands of units? And then the next question would be sort of the supply chain you need and like the various parts you may need, whether this is actuators mm -hmm. or sensors. Is, is this supply chain in place or do you have any worries that there may be like a bottlenecks mm -hmm. uh, somewhere? Yeah, we hope to produce as much as possible, like not, not just 100 uh, units, but uh, like um, a few a dozen, um, like a thousand um, like units. That is our mass production, uh, we believe. So if it's uh, just 100 robots, we can produce as a like extension of one of items pro uh, manufacturing. So we don't need to build our like mass produced our factory or something, but uh, if it's our um, more than 10,000 units, we need to um, build a mass production model and with mass produce, produce factory. 
So yeah, we hope to produce that number of like um, more than 10,000 um, units um, like over Gitai robots to like lunar surface and Martian surface. But in our, um, but you want to realize that and also in order to uh, reduce the um, costs in real time dramatically, we've been developing uh, our robots in-house. So including the, all of the necessary components, like mechanical engineering, um, mm. motor module unit, and even motor driver itself, and uh, all of the necessary avionics, electrical circuit, and uh, even software development, including autonomous software development in-house. So um, that is our uh, one of the biggest features and uh, minimizing costs in real time dramatically, enhancing the performance rapidly. So that is a vertical integration alongside with like specific manufacturing. So we are going to um, ex expand our vertical integration uh, more and more if we um, produce the number of, um, plenty number of our space robots. Mm -hmm. Because uh, part of the reason I was asking about supply chain, because uh, I guess on the similar time frame that you will be doing this, Right now on Earth, there is, uh, I guess, a drive uh, to develop um, more robotics and uh, also like new type of robotics with the humanoid robots, right? So you have, mm. of Optimus, a Tesla, and then mm. there is um, probably at least a couple of companies, some with extremely significant financing and stealth mm. mode for humanoid robotics. Um, but actually, that's an interesting question as well. So do you see, mm. I'm, I'm sure you're following all of this, the Optimus and other humanoid robotics. Mm. Do you see it? Do you see this may also be something that we will ultimately have in places like the moon, like the type of uh, humanoid robot to help us? Um, actually, like uh, the how to say, majority of our core engineers and researchers are former humanoid um, robotics researchers, and uh, especially our mm. chief robotics officer, uh, Dr. Yuto, um, was our former um, assistant professor at the University of Tokyo, and. Uh, uh, at our humanoid uh, robotics group, and uh, he, yeah, he lead he led the humanoid robotics development and researches at the University of Tokyo, and he was a former founder and CEO of Shaft, which won a uh, first prize at the qualifying round of DARPA Robotics Challenge in 2013, and acquired by Google. So um, yeah, we yeah we and actually I the first prototype I developed personally seven years ago was humanoid uh, robots. So yeah, we we love uh, to like develop human robot, but uh, um, also um, but uh, um, we saw some insight both technically and uh, from the business point of view. Um, so we don't need to design humanoid types uh, robot if we provide robotic workforce uh, to conduct various operations to the like lunar surface, Martian surface, and even terrestrial market. Um, if it's a like um, teleoperation, humanoid types robot is very, um, how to say, has a great advantages for human operators to control. Um, but uh, if it's an autonomous control, um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, we, we believe um, we don't need to design like human humanoid types robot. Um, and uh, technically, like for example, five finger hand is very very difficult. Mm. And uh, uh, if we try to, how to say. Uh, develop that robot as a product like for human like um, customer missions and with uh, reliability as a product um, it's very fragile and uh, um, but uh, so like two change of functions so like robotic hand and backhoe and uh, like electrical drill that kind of a tool change of function is more um, uh, reliable and realistic way to conduct various operations um, technically we believe and also from a business point of view, um, if we look at like terrestrial market, we needed to overcome the strong competitor called human labor. And uh, yeah, the mm. performance of human labor is much higher than uh, current general purpose robotics technology, including humanoid uh, robots. And uh, the cost is much expensive, um, more expensive than human labor. So um, if it's a like, space industry, yeah, the cost of human like labor is 130,000 US dollars power. So yeah, it's gonna be good business. But uh, if it's a terrestrial market, it's very difficult for us to um, yeah make a good business using their um, general purpose robots, such as humanoid types of robots. 
So mm. yeah, we focus on that. But even I, I think you already answered my next question because I was going to then ask mm. from independent of the humanoid form factor, a lot of the things you've described as use cases in space, like uh, you know construction or mining, mm. if mm -hmm. I look at those sectors on Earth, like they're maybe a little bit roboticized, but they're not a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me, they're not a lot roboticized, right? If you go like average mm. construction site, there's you know you have these big machines, and the big machines they mm. look the same mm. for like many decades, and then mm. somebody is driving the excavator and all of this. Mm. So I was going to ask you whether you also see a, mar a terrestrial market for your products, but I guess you would say that mm. like it's very established, it's not very expensive, and maybe mm. uh, there's actually less need. Or would are you are you pursuing mm. any terrestrial avenues at all? Um, um, in in the in the future, yeah, like especially me um, individually, I hope to expand our uh, capability to terrestrial market. Um, um, but uh, yeah, um, it's not short term plan, but a uh, long term plan. Um, and uh, like when I established our company, I have conducted a lot of like interviews and researches to potential markets, including space market and uh, uh, disaster rescue, plant maintenance, uh, remote medicals, but uh, Technically, and from a business point of view, um, it's very difficult um, to um, like realize um, uh, the high performance and low cost um, general purpose robots uh, competing human labor. Um, and, uh, and also, very, um, yeah, I believe it was also very difficult to create a good business um, yeah, uh, using that general purpose robotics um technologies so it's not long term but uh, actually this is a kind of like side story but uh, when i started our company i also thought considered uh, and followed um how to expand um computer so actually um general purpose robotics technology um uh, like can categorize can be categorized as an ex ex extension of human physical capability and a computer um can define the extension of uh, human brain uh, capability and uh, that mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah became a good business from government um and uh, enterprise and finally consumers um alongside the with the progress of the performance and the cost reduction so it would take 50 years to make a good business as a consumer business and uh, i believe um extension of human physical capability um, it's a um, general purpose robotics technology. We also follow our same steps. So now it's a performance of uh, general purpose robotics technology as an extension of human physical capability uh, is a very limited and uh, expensive cost. So we should create a good business at a government business, as a government business, such as like Apple Age. Um, but uh, if we can um, like, um, increase the performance, enhance the performance of general purpose robotics technology and uh, uh, reduce the cost uh, more and more, we can, uh, the general purpose robotics technology is going to be a good business for enterprise um, use cases and uh, such as plant maintenance and disaster rescue. And uh, finally, that technology will be core product and uh, um, mass pr um, product for consumers. But uh, it also uh, like will follow same steps, three steps, and uh, it will take a lot of time to be a good business and a uh, um, good consumer business. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So if people want to get involved in this in this very exciting um, mission, are, are you hiring right now? And if so, like, uh, what types of people are you hiring? Are you hiring in Japan, the US, both? Yeah, we are very actively hiring there. Uh, in the U.S., um, in Torrance, California. And actually, uh, we have started in Japan, but uh, we have relocated uh, everything uh, from Tokyo mm -hmm. to the U.S., uh, including headquarters and all of the manufacturing functions and uh, uh, from Jap Japan to the U.S. So now we are, um, our headquarters located in the U.S. and all of the manufacturing facilities and functions located in the U.S., California. Uh, so and, uh, we are now actively hiring uh, in the United, United States, in California, um, Poland's office, uh, both uh, business development and legal and uh, um, engineers. Uh, so yeah, we um, please apply for the uh, Gitai.tech um, website. And uh, yeah, it will be great if we see the, uh, the interview. 
Terrific. We'll put your website in the uh, in the notes to this this episode so people can look up your 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 job openings. And then uh, so the 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 final questions of the podcast are always the same. It's basically two questions. One was uh, the first question is so you're generally uh, I can tell a space enthusiast and of course you know you're doing again very exciting version of what Gita is doing. If you were not pursuing Gitai, if like you had to pick some other area of space uh, business activity that's very exciting, what would be one example? Mm, yeah, it's a very difficult question, but uh, um, um, because our development of the humanoid uh, robots um, uh, as an individual project, I also had developed uh, virtual reality applications. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, for like Oculus Rift and uh, HTC Vive, so like the kind of a uh, virtual reality and a mixed reality applications, we might I might um, like establish the company as an entrepreneur uh, to pursue the possibility to uh, upgrade our interfaces from two dimensional uh, interface to three dimensional interfaces. So yeah, that is about the um, interesting challenges as an entrepreneur. Mixed uh, mixed reality, so virtual reality, augmented reality. Have you have you yes. have you tried have you tried the Apple Vision Pro? Oh, not yet, actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, I have tried like uh, various like uh, Quest, uh, uh, Meta yeah. uh, product, and HCC, uh, and uh, I have developed uh, various applications like Windows Windows applications for HCC Vive, yeah. Oculus Rift, and uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I think the how to say it's too heavy to set. <laughs> it looks it looks it looks heavy, but yeah, I, I'm actually thinking about planning by the uh, stopping by the Apple Store later. I, I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we don't want to yeah. talk about Apple here. Um, let me ask you the final question we always mm -hmm. ask here, which is about science fiction. And so, do you like science fiction? And if yes, what are you know some of your favorite science fiction books? I guess a lot of robotics, of course, in science mm -hmm. fiction. I'm a huge fan of uh, Isaac Asimov and the robot series. But mm -hmm. what are some mm -hmm. of your of your favorites? Yeah, actually, yeah, there, that is our. Like the biggest reason I have started to develop um, sci-fi-like robots, and uh, since I have loved science fiction, especially um, Japanese animes, um, uh, such as um, Macross Frontier, Code Gears, and the Gundam, that kind of like sci-fi, mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, space or like robot um, uh, cartoon animes. Um, yeah, I, I, I was very big fan of that, and. Uh, so yeah, that is uh, my recommendations, and uh, I, I'm still a big fan of these animes. Great, I, I highly recommend Gundam for sure. I don't know the other ones, but I will I will look them up. But sure, thank you so much for for coming onto the podcast. Really interesting to be on Gitai. Best of luck with your in orbit um, demonstration, and I hope that this vision of a, of a large robotic workforce will will come through. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.